Breakfast, the most important meal of the day. You uh, remember that statement from somewhere along the way, not just this morning. I've remembered it, and I've always thought it was the advice of nutritionists and dietitians. And in fact, if you Google that statement, the first thing that comes up is this quote. Breakfast is often called the most important meal of the day, and for good reason. As the name suggests, breakfast breaks the overnight fasting period. It replenishes your supply of glucose to boost your energy levels and alertness while also providing essential nutrients required for good health. That seems reasonable enough, but then it occurred to me to type the following question into my Google search box. Who said breakfast is the most important meal of the day? And this answer popped up. While our ancestors ate a small meal early in the day and ate their larger meal when it became more convenient during their farm work, the line, breakfast is the most important meal of the day, was actually invented in the 19th century by Seventh-day Adventists James Caleb Jackson and John Harvey Kellogg to sell their newly invented breakfast cereal. So it was a commercial pitch. However, that source also went on to say that researchers have found that, on average, people who eat breakfast are thinner than those who don't, quite possibly because eating foods with protein and fiber in the morning helps to keep their appetite in check for the rest of the day. And it also noted that the emphasis on breakfast is not just about health, there is a moralizing element in the push for breakfast, the push to have you eat something that will help you get started on a day of productive work. On the actual science side of things, one dietitian notes that the body uses a lot of energy stores for growth and repair through the night, and eating a balanced breakfast helps to increase energy as well as replenish things such as protein and calcium, which have been used through the night And some studies show that eating breakfast is associated with improved brain function, including concentration, language, and memory. But then there was a little note, but it has not been definitively proved. So is breakfast the most important meal of the day? Scientists might hedge a bit. Most important, hard to say. Important, probably so. Of course, the company founded in the 19th century by John Harvey Kellogg would have no hesitation at all about promoting the importance of breakfast. Pull up a bowl, they might say, and pass the milk. In this morning's scripture, breakfast features prominently. Post-resurrection, with this new reality still settling in as Jesus has appeared a couple of times to the disciples, including an appearance to Thomas who missed seeing him the first time around, Jesus appears yet one more time on the lakeshore, not far from where some of the disciples are out in a boat fishing. He calls to them from the shore, asking whether they've caught anything or not. They don't recognize him across the distance, but respond nevertheless with a simple no. And it is true. They've been out all night, and they've caught nothing. 
Jesus calls to them again and tells them to cast the nets on the other side of the boat. They do what he tells them, and suddenly they have caught more fish than they can manage. Things click into place in that moment, and John, anyway, often called the beloved disciple, recognizes that it is Jesus there on the shore. He may be a little too far away for them to see him clearly, but the net full of fish miracle is vintage Jesus, right? Then Peter, who can't wait to get to Jesus, hops out of the boat and swims for shore while the others drag the nets behind the boat. When they all get to shore, there is Jesus tending a fire, preparing fish and bread. He invites them to bring the fish they've caught, and he says, come and have breakfast. Now, is breakfast what is important here? Is it the most important thing? Well, it certainly is a nice balancing image to the image of the Last Supper, don't you think? Back then, they ate, thinking that they were coming to the end. And now, here they are, invited to a meal that starts a new day. Back then, they were thinking about Jesus' words, do this in remembrance of me. And now, here they are, still trying to wrap their heads around the idea that Jesus lives not only in the past, but in the present. Back then, at least at the Last Supper, they questioned Jesus, Peter did anyway, when Jesus wanted to wash their feet. Now here at breakfast, none of them dares to ask a thing. Those are interesting differences, right? These differences between supper and breakfast. The supper before the crucifixion and the breakfast after the resurrection. But actually, it's not the differences that most capture my attention. It's the similarity. And what's the same is this. Jesus fed them. Verse 13, Jesus came and took bread and gave it to them and did the same with the fish. And that, I think, may be the most important thing. Jesus fed them. And then after feeding them, after breakfast, he gives them the instruction to feed others. Listen again to how the scripture story continues. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my lambs. And of course, Jesus asks essentially the same question three times and offers essentially the same instruction three times. Feed my sheep. And most people look at that and focus on the three times and note that it must be the counterbalance to Peter denying Jesus three times. So now Peter gets to say three times that he loves Jesus. And that counters the three times that he denied knowing Jesus. And that probably is important. Three counters three. But what if, in addition to balancing the three times denial with the three times opportunity Jesus gives to Peter to say, I love you, The three times instruction to feed the sheep, the forward-looking push of such a statement, is of equal significance in this story. 
Feed my lambs. Tend my sheep. Feed my sheep. What if Jesus, in addition to giving Peter the opportunity to make a three times affirmation of love to counter the three times denial of knowing him, is also giving him a three times instruction about what love of Jesus, love for Jesus, looks like? What love in Jesus looks like going forward? In this new day, do you love me? Feed my lambs. Do you love me? Tend my sheep. Do you love me? Feed my sheep. That is to say, do you love God? Then feed God's children. Three times feed them. Maybe even quite literally, three times feed them. Feed them breakfast, feed them lunch, feed them supper. Feed them. Repeating those words of Jesus, feed them, tend them, feed them, makes me think that maybe today would have been a good Sunday to have a food drive for the food pantry, right? It's one of those things that popped into my head as I was writing the sermon in the second half of the week. Or it occurred to me maybe I should have timed this text with one of those weeks that we host the second harvest food drive in our parking lot. Except, of course, the second harvest calendar and the lectionary readings for the Sundays after Easter don't necessarily sync up. But even without an accompanying action this morning, there's no harm in pressing the point that Christian love and feeding those who are hungry are two things that should be working hand in hand, regardless of timing or planning or special events. Do you love me, Peter? Then feed my lambs. This is what the love of God, the love of Jesus, looks like going forward, right? Feeding the hungry. Brethren are not scriptural literalists. I'm telling you that. But we are Jesus literalists. Wash feet. Turn the other cheek. Feed the hungry. Okay, so feed them something. That's a good thing to take from this scripture story, but there's more going on here, more for us in this scripture than just providing the food, than just offering any old meal prepared on the lake shore, even a meal prepared with love. There's also this, pay attention that it is breakfast that Jesus invites them to share. Pay attention to that because breakfast is a unique meal, Breakfast is the end of the night and the beginning of the day. It is the meal to mark the new day. It's the revival of body and spirit. Even if you want to argue that it's not the most important meal of the day, then it is at least this, the beginning of the new day. And the beginning of a new day while it comes every 24 hours, is not something that all of us are very good at marking. Maybe you have a ritual to mark the beginning of the day. Maybe it's a quiet time or a cup of coffee or stepping outside to breathe the morning air. Maybe you have a moment of recognition or thanks that you have ritualized. And if so, I commend you because I don't think 
that most of us do. I think many of us slide or crawl into the new day, often reluctantly, sometimes with the residue of a rough or restless night, often with plans or obligations or worries already stacking up before we even put on our shoes. And so I think the new day is often mistaken for just another day. Unless, unless we are somehow aware that the new day is offering to us something that is truly new. New life, perhaps. New hope. A new way of being and living in the world. New expressions of love. I think Jesus invites the disciples to breakfast and feeds them bread and fish because he wants to make the point that he loves them and such love feeds those who are hungry with kindness and generosity and community and, yes, food. So he wants to make a clear link between love and feeding. But I also think that he really wants to impress upon them that this is a new day. A new day. They are starting a new day. And a new day offers new possibilities, new actions, new hope. Think about it. They've been up all night fishing unsuccessfully, and they have to be exhausted. They are still uncertain about what they're supposed to be doing. Jesus was crucified, and then he's been resurrected. Their lives have been upended. What are they supposed to do now? What do you think, why do you think Peter took them fishing? It's because he hadn't any idea what to do next. So he went back to what he used to do. But with Jesus' resurrection, everything has changed. And that's what Jesus wants to get across to them. That's why it takes one, two, three appearances to the disciples. With the resurrection, everything is new. There is no going back, only forward. But how are they going to do that? It's an open question and one with which they will continue to wrestle. But first, Jesus says, come and have breakfast. Sit down, mark the new day with me, take some nourishment, let me feed you, let me remind you of our love relationship, shake off the night, open your eyes to the rising sun, Have some bread and fish. I love you. Let me feed you. Let's start the new day together. My mother was not a morning person. She loved to cook, but she said that the smell of food cooking in the morning always made her feel slightly nauseous. So, she stocked the pantry with numerous boxes and varieties of breakfast cereal. She sometimes made a coffee cake the night before, put it in a pan on the counter. Sometimes there was fruit on the counter or in the refrigerator, but her breakfast mantra was, help yourself. I think she felt a little guilty 
about it. Because when I say she stocked the pantry with different varieties of cereal, I mean there were all kinds. Some of which we as kids thought were great. But I can't imagine a grown adult buying those for their child. Ah, the colors and flavors of sugar-coated wonders. So I grew up thinking that's just the way it was. Mr. Kellogg would have been pleased. I assumed that breakfast of the cooked variety was something you might have on the weekend, but only after 11 a.m., or that it was something you might have for dinner. Pancakes in the evening seemed like quite a treat. Later on, I learned that other people ate cooked breakfasts often in the morning. And I wondered what I might have missed although it did not convert me to regularly preparing breakfast for my own children. My sister, however, grew up in the same household that I grew up in, with the same sugar-coated cereals and Pop-Tarts and whatnot, and she took a different tack. She cooked her son a warm breakfast every morning, every morning, for the whole time that he lived in her house. Something warm to start the day. And I remember her saying at one point that no matter what else was happening, whatever upsets were going on in their household, whatever problems with relationships, whatever uncertainties about the future, whatever simple ups and downs, even if there were many of those things at times, things she could not fix and could not change, she was going to keep making breakfast for him. And she did. It was her way, her consistent way, of communicating love and care. Feed my lambs. Makes me think, what is my expression of such love? What do I consistently and constantly do to feed the lambs? What do I do, what do you do, in the spirit of Jesus that says over and over, this is a new day? What do you need to get it going? What does forward look like? After Sunday school today, we're going to have a fellowship meal. It's not breakfast. It's not even brunch. You can't have lasagna and salad and dessert for breakfast. I'm pretty sure about that. But we can eat together. Feed each other with food, with attention, with care, and we can affirm with each other that we are living into a new day. And I'm grateful for that. I'm grateful for you. I'm grateful for food shared together. I'm grateful for a congregation that lives forward in trust and hope, which is the spirit of resurrection. I am grateful for a new day. I am grateful for this new day. Jesus appears to us again when we break bread, when we call others to join us, when we sense that something new and special is happening between us, and when we give ourselves to helpfulness and hopefulness. Amen.